six-figure business for myself running yoga teacher training. In 2016, I partnered with a few other yoga teachers and bought a yoga studio. In 2019, we bought another one. Then at the end of that year, I left the studios and my teacher training business behind to create an online business mentoring yoga teachers. If you want the inside scoop on how I made a reliable living from my craft, I share it all in my new weekly video newsletter called The Practice. Because just like yoga, creating a sustainable business requires consistent, inspired action. And after over a decade of being self-employed, I have a few ideas to share. You can sign up right now for free and get a new video filled with actionable strategies for building a sustainable business in your inbox every single week just by signing up at corajaru.com slash newsletter. It's my mission to remind you that you are not alone. And I hope to be a resource for your life and work on the spiritual path, both in your teaching and your business. But for now, I hope you enjoy the show. And I, I haven't yet, yeah, we had to bet. I'm only here, yeah, you know. If you don't like this music, then don't be listening to it, you know. I'm just a dude that you know. Or something similar if you don't keep it real can you Hey welcome back to another episode of the Teaching Yoga podcast Before we get into the interview um I just wanted to follow up a little bit on what I shared last week in the intro Um I've just been thinking about it and I wanted to just you know offer some possible solutions because last week I talked about how at least here in Australia, um, most full-time yoga teachers make below minimum wage if they are working full-time for studios and gyms, teaching around 15 classes a week. And while that may have made you feel, um, depressed if maybe you're a newer yoga teacher hoping to make it in the yoga industry. Um, It may have also made you feel validated if you are a yoga teacher who has been teaching for some time and are struggling to make it work financially. So I just wanted to acknowledge that, um, that whatever you're feeling, you know, based on that information, it's totally valid. And 
Well, I think it's really important to know about the problems in our industry. I'm much more interested in focusing on solutions because I think if we spend too much time on the problem, we can get stuck there. So the way I see it is there are really two broad solutions to this problem of yoga teachers, um, full-time yoga teachers being below, you know, in the poverty line, not being able to make enough money to support themselves. And the first one is increasing rates of pay for yoga teachers and increasing their employment security, whether that means transitioning from away from an independent contractor model to an employee model or something slightly different, I think will be unique for the individual business that that is looking at these these alternatives and these options. And if that is something that feels like a path that you want to follow in really advocating for yourself at your place of employment or advocating for your community of yoga teachers, I highly recommend that you check out the work of a few people that I have interviewed here on the show. The first one is Markella Los. And Markella was um, a podcast guest on episode 13, which is in season one. And in that episode, Markella and I speak about the union that she helped to form at the Yoga Works studios in New York City. So that was the first ever yoga union. It was, you know, groundbreaking and super important work. Um, Another person that I would like to direct you towards is Norman Blair. And Norman came on the podcast in episode 30. Norman has um, written extensively about yoga teachers and pay, specifically in the UK. However, he does factor in um, studios here in Australia and in North America as well. And Norman is up to some really cool stuff with unionizing in the UK as well. And um, we may even be able to get Norman back on the podcast to talk about one of his new projects. But if you're interested in um, learning more about what Norman is doing, check out episode 30 of the podcast. And the last person that I just want to highlight today is Kaylee Shutt. And Kaylee is uh, a yoga teacher also in the UK who was fundamental in forming a union for yoga teachers in the UK. I believe this is the the world's uh, second union for yoga teachers. So the one in New York was the first and this one in um, the UK is the second. And they're very different unions, the way they had organized. The one at Yoga Works was through being an employee at the Yoga Works studios. I believe the one in the UK is um, based more on the gig economy. As yoga teachers, whether we like it or not, we're part of that gig economy. Um, you know, like Uber drivers and and that sort of thing, um, at least legally speaking. So um, Kaylee was on episode 47. So have a look at that, check it out. And I so admire the work that these teachers are doing to advocate for teachers' rights, for better rates of pay, for more transparency and security um, for yoga teachers in their workplaces. And I really see that as one massive solution to this problem of yoga teachers um, really not making enough money to feed themselves and to live on. 
Um, the second solution that I see to this problem is for yoga teachers to reframe how they think about themselves rather than thinking about themselves as an employee or even an independent contractor to think about themselves as business owners. And this is the path that I took. Um, it's an entrepreneurial path. And for some people, uh, this might be the right path for you. And I think that it's okay for different people to want to do, take a different path. Like maybe for you, it feels really important to work on a collective solution through unionizing. Or uh, maybe you're more of an individualist and for you, you have a creative spirit that you want to create something on your own to create a course or a program or a business that you can build and grow and nurture so that it will become a sustainable business for you. And what you do with that sustainable business is really up to you. You know, you can give back to your community in other ways. You can support your family, um, but it really revolves around learning how to think and act like a business owner. So rather than just trading your time for, a, you know, a paid invoice at a yoga studio, it revolves around creating products and services, learning how to do ethical, sustainable marketing, learning how to grow your own community, learning how to create products and services that serve that community, and then delivering them in a way that is sustainable and abundant for you and the people who you support. So um, that's the path that I've taken. And um, if you want to learn how I've done that and how um, other teachers have done that, you are welcome to check out my upcoming program. You can think about this program like a level one teacher training, but for business, or like your first 200 hour training, but for business as a yoga teacher. And we really start from the foundation. This program is called Lost to Launch. You probably have heard me talk about it. You might have even heard my ad for it. And this program takes place over four months. It's a live program, meaning I'm there with you every single week live on Zoom. We also have pre-recorded videos and um, worksheets and a community forum and all of that sort of thing. So it's a very high-touch, interactive, supportive, supportive program that will teach you the foundations of business. I'll tell you more about that in an upcoming podcast, but I just wanted to let you know that if you're feeling a little bit deflated from me last week saying, hey, uh, yoga teachers don't make enough money to support themselves, know that there are options and there are options um, that are different for different people, you know? So I think follow your, your inner knowing about which path is right for you. If you want to know more about Lost to Launch, it's on my website, coragerew.com slash Lost to Launch. There'll be a link um, in the show notes to this. Um, yeah, so I just wanted to, to fill you in on that. But um, before we go any further, I should tell you a little bit about today's interview. So if you've been kicking around the yoga world for any length of time, I'm pretty sure that my guest today, Jules Mitchell, is no stranger to you. Jules is a Las Vegas-based yoga teacher and massage therapist who holds a master's of science and biomechanics. She blends the tradition of yoga with her extensive study in biomechanics to help yoga teachers develop their craft and empower them with education. 
She regularly contributes to yoga teacher training programs and leads workshops worldwide. Hopefully, (laughs) Jules gets back to that once COVID um, allows for international travel. Jules balances the somatic aspects of yoga with the most current exercise science. Bringing the most useful and applicable pieces of that science into the yoga community is her passion, even when it invokes a discerning analysis of popular opinions. Her book, Yoga Biomechanics Stretching Redefined, is now available through Handspring Publishing. In my 200-hour training that I used to teach, I cited Jules' work extensively. I really appreciate her contribution to the yoga community. And in today's conversation, Jules and I talk about a definition of biomechanics. What is it really? And then we kind of go back and forth about the differences between anatomy and biomechanics. Jules also defines stretching. What actually is it? And we talk about why deadlifting might actually increase your hamstring flexibility more quickly than passive stretching, which is something that, as I mentioned in the episode, my partner has discovered and is thrilled that he can now touch his toes. We also ponder if being a better yoga teacher is a useful concept and what it might be like if we stopped encouraging division within the yoga community. I have a feeling that you will really enjoy this episode with Jules Mitchell. All right, let's get into the show. Hey, Jules, thank you so much for coming to the show today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Me too. I think that a lot of our listeners will actually be really familiar with your work, um, especially if there are any of my previous uh, yoga teacher training students listening to this, they will definitely be familiar with your work because we um, talked about you and your work a lot <laughs> in our teacher trainings. Um, I remember even showing one of the the videos, I can't remember, it was in one of your webinars or something that I um, attended, the video of the squat um, yeah. Yeah. You know, like what, I don't know what that, it's like a, I don't know what that thing is called, like that metal thing, but, um, whatever that is, I mean, you probably can tell us more about it in some language that makes sense. But, um, so, and I know you've done a million podcasts, so I don't want to spend time on your history and your background because I think people probably know it and, or you've done that on a lot of other shows. So instead I want to know, like, what are you most passionate or excited about? Maybe you haven't even written about it yet, but you're thinking about it or you're researching it or like there's a question on your mind. You're like, hmm, I wonder how that works. Um, What's going on for you right now in terms of your curiosity? Oh, my gosh. Um, Not there's not one like big topic in terms of my curiosity uh, that I'm super keen on at this moment. It's just like kind of a blanket. I'm curious, obviously about everything. Um, (laughs) There's not really one, one particular topic. I, you know, I mean, like, I guess I've always got a little bit of my attention in the pain science. That's always like a running background. I've always got my attention in the, the biotensegrity conversation. That's always in the background, but I'm, I I have to say that, I mean, the, the, the timing kind of makes it, you know, makes all the difference and we're approaching, you know, a a year of 
me not out on the road teaching and traveling. <laughs> and so I've really done a lot of shifting and my like focus right now is really like on mentoring and and helping people think critically about some of this stuff. So I would say like my, my like I've, I've I've launched a mentoring program. I'm doing a lot of one on ones, and I think so a, a little bit of like leadership skills and pedagogy and so on is is. That's new to me. That's something I never really had time for in the past because I was always on airplanes. Uh, so now I'm, I'm spending a little bit of time in that world. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I have, a, I have a, a book proposal in the back of my mind. Mm. And it is, is about teaching people <laughs> things. And so, it, yeah, so that's kind of, I mean, I'm always still in biomechanics, tensegrity, pain science and all of that. But yeah, a little shift, I think. Hmm. Um, are you mentoring yoga teachers or do other people come to you for mentoring as well? They're, they're all yoga teachers, but that's such a loose definition. You know, some are, some are studio owners, some are, are, are doing kind of what I do and, and, and writing programs for education. Some are teaching you know, five classes a week on Zoom or in person or whatever. So it's a it's a still a variety of people. We've got someone who volunteers uh, at a high school for yoga. So it's a you know bunch of different iterations of yoga teachers. Mm-hmm. Um. So I would love to start with a couple of definitions, or at least one big one, um, <laughs> because. I think it just helps make the conversation a bit more clear if we know that we're both talking about the same thing and therefore the listener knows what the hell we are talking about. And the first word that I would love you to give your your definition or the classical definition, whatever you think is most helpful of is biomechanics. What is that? Like it gets thrown around a lot in the last like five maybe 10, five years um, in the yoga world. But what does that actually mean? Yeah, well, it, it means kind of a lot of things. But if you really want to boil it down, like just into the root words, we would look at bio and we would look at mechanics. And bio being the living, you know, living uh, creatures. We're just going to talk about humans. Uh, and then the mechanics would be sort of the physics of it, the, the, you could even say Newtonian physics of it. And then when you're talking about that, you're talking about force. You're talking about variables associated with force. So like classic biomechanics breaks it down into like two subjects, which would be kinematics and kinetics and kinematics is loosely the properties of motion and kinematics is, or sorry, kinetics is the, like the forces during motion. So you would need like lab equipment to be able to measure force. Uh, So that would be like the two branches of classic biomechanics. But in my, in my mind, it's more complex than that. And sometimes when biomechanics is just referred to as one of those then 
if people don't grasp the complexity of it, I would expand biomechanics, of course, to include tissue mechanics. You know, the, the properties of tissues, material science would be what it would be in the real world. So material science, like, you know, with the properties of stainless steel versus the properties of yarn <laughs> are quite different. And so we have kind of the same thing in, in, in our biological tissues. And then, of course, the biotensegrity conversation uh, complicates things quite a bit because classical biomechanics is based in lever systems that, you know, arguably don't actually exist in the human body. So it, it gets very complicated very quickly. But in my mind, that's part of biomechanics. So it's not an either or, it's a yes and. Mm. Like most things in life. Um, <laughs> so if there's someone out there listening who studied anatomy in their yoga teacher training, and let's say that they haven't explored um, how the body works in terms of their yoga practice, like their lived experience of it, but they haven't studied how the body works apart from something like that anatomy, you know, 20 hour anatomy situation in their 200 hour training. Um, and they're listening and they're like, okay, so I learned probably like the names of the muscles and where they are and maybe the names of the bones and where they are. Um, how does that, if they're just like coming in at that level, how does that relate or differ from what someone would learn when they're investigating biomechanics? Oh, that's complex. Um, <laughs> because I don't really think you need anatomy to study biomechanics, but the problem is we need anatomy as a common language. So it's hard to like just jump in and study biomechanics without an anatomy background because I'm going to assume you know what the hamstrings are. So therefore, that's what you need anatomy for. My, my issue is when we take like a, the, the 20 hours of anatomy and that we are offered and try to make meaning of it with just that just the study of anatomy like the it doesn't have meaning until we add other elements of study so I'm not I, I mean I love anatomy and I'm in the anatomy lab every year and I, it's it's a lifelong study and what we are exposed to I think <laughs> in my opinion you need about four hours of anatomy not 20 and so what ends up happening is we take that four hours and we stretch it out to 20 by trying to make meaning of it. When all you really need is some basic names of like, what's a tendon? What's a ligament? What are these? What are the names of some of these major muscles? The rest of it, you're going to spend your lifetime studying. But let's have some, let's, you know, so you know what the hip joint is and the shoulder joint, you know, how many vertebrae there are and those types of things. And then you can go into... I think that's where biomechanics comes in because then you see how things work and you see how things adapt and you see how things evolve and you start looking at anatomy in terms of evolution and embryology and change and adaptation instead of looking at things as like pictures in a book, two-dimensional static structures. So would it be somewhat accurate to say like anatomy is the study of what something is. And in this case, like, let's talk about the human body. So like what it is, the different parts, the names of the parts and biomechanics is the study of how that body develops and how that body works. Is that accurate? 
Yeah, it's it's accurate. It's reduced. Uh, I would, you know, I would say anatomy is, by, by definition, anatomy is the naming of parts. So it means you have to dissect. You have to take a part to name the part because it's a whole. So the, so there, that's part of anatomy. But but that in itself doesn't help you because we don't operate outside of our whole. So, so we're dissecting things, taking them apart to learn them. And then trying to make meaning of that when that doesn't exist, it has to be put back together. And then it's too much to make meaning of because it's one big thing. <laughs> it's, it's, um, it's actually very yogic in its philosophy, right? Um, but, but so to me, anatomy is the way, like the, what we need it as, as far as teaching yoga, um, we, it's a study of language. It's a study of what the words mean. You know, do the words... Where do the words come from? What do they mean? Like if there's a, it, it becomes a very easy study. If there's a magnus, you know, there must be a minimus. If there's a, you know, if there's, if, if there's a posterior, there must be an, a, an anterior. And so you can kind of start to look at these words and then you don't have to spend all this time studying the anatomy. You're just naming the parts, so to speak. Whereas when you look at things like biomechanics or physiology, now you're looking at, at, the behavior of these things that you've named, um, what these things do, what what ha- what how these things respond to things that you do, movement and so on, um, and that that is missing from what we would call you know classical anatomy. Now, don't if you're obviously a, a, an anatomist, you recognize all of that. So I'm not saying there's like anatomy is incomplete. I'm just saying when we're looking at it in this little, okay, we're going to teach some anatomy to yoga teachers. That part is what's missing. Mm. So do you think that if, if as yoga teachers um, or teacher trainers or, you know, whoever is making the rules about what goes into a teacher training do you think that if we um, restructured that time, like, you know, four hours learning the names of the parts or even like, you know, before you get to class, study those things, memorize a few things so that we can have a conversation. And then when we're looking at that study inside of a teacher training, for example, that that time might be better spent on learning how the things actually work, i.e. biomechanics. Like, do you think that would make us better yoga teachers as a, as a whole? Oh, that's hard too. <laughs> you have hard questions. <laughs> uh, it's hard. Uh, that's a, I, 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 it's hard for me to say what would make us better because that implies that I think we are, are, are at fault already. And, and I have a, I have a hard time with that. Everybody's perfect. We're all doing the best we can. All, everybody's great. Um, so I, I, I don't want to come on a podcast and be like, well, I have this idea and it would make everything better. Like, that's the last thing I want to come across at. Uh, there are amazing teachers out there teaching anatomy and teacher trainings that know way more about anatomy than I do. So that, let me just kind of start with that. Um, that said, when I get offered to guest teach an anatomy section, kind of what you said is what I do. We go through... I, I have a whole bunch of handouts. We go through some language. We go through all of this stuff, and then we get right into it. What's the What's the difference between a stretch and load? Like, how do you know you've load? How do you know you're loading 
how do you know you're loading the anterior hip or the posterior hip? Or are you just passively stretching it? Like those are, to me, that, that makes, doesn't make for a better teacher because I, again, want to stay away from that word. It makes for a, a different level of inquiry. You know, it's like, well, why am I teaching this pose then? What is the point? And, and, what, and if this person is expecting this outcome from this pose, am, have I modified it in the way that is most, that most accurately facilitates what I'm trying to do or what the intention is? Like I can, I can actually do different, I can say different things. I can, I can change your orientation to gravity. I can use a prop. I can do all these different things to bias like certain areas of the body in these different poses. And I don't think just learning the names of structures helps you do that. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Thank you. That was actually super, super helpful and appreciate. Yeah. I appreciate your nuance around better, (laughs) but, but different yet. Uh, There's just so much criticism out there and I just can't anymore. (laughs) You know, like I just, I I can't be a part of that, that narrative as you understand. (laughs) I fully appreciate that. Um, So one more definition. And then I don't know if I'm going to have easier questions, but we'll get, we'll get the ball rolling a little bit into some more detail. Um, can we talk about what the word stretch means? Um, and if you feel like it, uh, what do we know about how stretching works? Yeah. Um, I just did this this week in a three hour webinar. <laughs> Let me do it in three minutes. <laughs> Uh, it's a huge question. It's a huge question. Um, so let me see if I can kind of give a small little cliff notes. You know, the way I define stretch as a biomechanist is is to put something under tension. You know, that's like like you can think of stretching a rubber band, or you could think of stretching a gummy worm, or you could think of you know touching your toes and stretching your hamstrings. Like that's kind of what I consider stretch is tension in a, in a purely, you know, mechanical sense. Um, When you look at it that way, it's very different than stretching as an activity to get, become more flexible. You know, those are different things. So we have to be, we have to define those things. And when you start looking at stretching as an activity to become more flexible, there's many different ways of doing that. Um, but something that I think people forget is that when you're doing a bicep curl and that bicep muscle is shortening, you're stretching your tendon. <laughs> you're putting tension on that tendon. So you might not do a bicep curl as a flexibility exercise, but you're definitely putting tension and stretching that tendon. That's how force is being transmitted through it. So you have to be really careful about what you're talking about when you're talking about it. So I don't look at stretching as a range of motion. It is an activity to improve range of motion. Clearly, that's what the entire world thinks it is. But when I'm talking about tension and stretching in that sense I'm always most clear because it, it I don't I, I divert from the range of motion conversation I spent years years studying all that research and I just lost interest after a while <laughs> it's just like okay <laughs> uh, you know there, I mean I'm, I, I get I'm not not interested in it but you 
you can't present me with a paper that is going to make me go, oh, this changes everything. This changes everything about what we know. I'm just like, oh, yeah, another little piece of information supports this selection of papers, contradicts this selection of papers. All right, give me another one. You know, that's kind of, so I just, I, my finger's on the pulse, but it's like, it's not my, my favorite narrative to engage in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how much you're going to like my next question then, but, <laughs> but you can, you, you can humor me. Um, so as you said, the whole world knows, thinks, I don't know which one of those words is accurate, um, that stretching is an activity that is done to hopefully increase one's range of motion. Like I think, um, even on another podcast I've listened to with you, I, and I might be misquoting you, so please correct me if I am, but you mentioned something like the vast majority of people actually come to yoga to get more flexible. I don't know if that was in like a, a, survey or something that was, that was conducted. So, so people are going to yoga to become more flexible. And from what we know in terms of like just common knowledge, we do that by stretching. Um, it's like sort of like how we think about that and how that works, but there are a lot of factors that go into someone's range of motion, which I'm using the word, I guess, flexibility and range of motion interchangeably. Yep. Yeah. Um, so is stretching like we think of, of like, I guess, uh, passive stretching, maybe I know, I know we do a lot of active stretching in yoga too, but, um, does that actually increase, is that the best way to increase someone's range of motion or are there other factors that we need to consider when talking about an individual's range of motion and motion? And if stretching is what they could be doing to work on that. <laughs> There's a lot in there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, what was the question? No, I don't know. I, I don't I, know. I think I got one of, of is passive stretching the best way? Sure. Um, yeah. Let's go with that. Yeah, that, was, with that. that was a question that I could pull and Maybe out. what is passive stretching? Yeah. I don't yeah, know. Cool. It depends on who you're talking about, what their goals are, where they are to start, what you, where they need to go. You know, I would say may, maybe not yet it's successful for many people. Um, you know, what are we trying to change? What is the change? Are we just getting used to it? Is it like, are we actually increasing, are we actually increasing range of motion? Or are you just getting kind of better at being in that position? But, you know, like, so how are we defining increasing range of motion? Are you looking for tissue change? Are you looking for nervous system response? Are you looking for a change in the stretch reflex? Like it, it's so... It, there's just so much around it, around, you know, are you protecting something and why? Was there an injury? Is there, is it, is it a, a perception? Like there's, and so that most of the studies, you have to like, to control for something, you have to remove all the other variables, yet, yet you've got a, a full human. I mean, I just like, I mean, the temperature of the room matters, if you're warm and cozy, you're going to have greater range of motion than if you're in a cold biomechanics lab that's always at 22 degrees Celsius on a metal table with a pulley. Like, so, so I mean, now, I mean, now we're just talking about environment, like as changing ranges. So it's so complex. And, you know, our, when there's one study that, that they looked at where, uh, where they were doing the stretch on an inhale versus on an exhale, and they were getting different results. 
So now is every study controlling for when, what, on which breath, you know, that's not like, there's so much to it. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, if you're just r rolling into the lab after a vacation or if you almost got hit in the parking lot, don't you think you have a different change in range of motion? <laughs> so like, it's, it's just a really hard conversation to, to have. And that's why every time I look at one of these studies, like they're so important and I'm not invalidating them. But we have to look at the methods really thoroughly. You know, what were they doing? What else were they doing? Because if somebody was stretching, but not doing any other aerobic activity, you know, but then somebody else was stretching and they were like, you know, they were running for recreationally during the three weeks of the study. Like, does that affect the range? Like, there's so much to consider. How can, how can Olympic lifters be some of the most flexible Olympians, like, you know, like there's, as far as sports in the Olympics go next to gymnastics, you've got Olympic lifters and they don't spend any time stretching. So what, how does that work? <laughs> yeah, well, that, that is actually one of my questions for you <laughs> because I don't, I don't know if you'll be able to answer it, but um, I started dating my partner, my current partner, his name's James. I started dating him two years ago ish, three, maybe three years ago. And, uh, when we first started dating, he was a very good first partner or first uh, new partner and came to all my yoga classes. And I was teaching a lot. He didn't come to all of them, but I was teaching a lot at that time. So he would come regularly a couple times a week and he's pretty tall and hadn't done yoga before and came in with the, Thing. Hey, my hamstrings are really tight. It really hurts when I stretch them. Um, he's actually had a back injury, a lower back um, disectomy, um, you know, sort of, all sorts of stuff going on there. And after about a year of coming to my classes regularly, he's like, hey, my hamstrings are still as tight as they were before. Mm -hmm. Why isn't, why isn't yoga doing anything? Why isn't yoga doing anything for me? Um, and then I was like, I don't know if it really works that way. There's a lot of factors, blah, blah, blah. And then um, time goes by. I stopped teaching yoga. I don't, I don't actually currently teach asana class. Um, and he started coming to the gym with me. And uh, deadlifting was not something that he used to do at the gym. He would, you know, doing bicep curls or those sorts of things instead. And I was like, why don't you try deadlifting? And he was pretty nervous about it. Um, but ha has been doing it consistently for about a year with no injury or anything. And every, like after every deadlifting session, he's like, look, look, look at me. Like I can touch my toes. This has never happened to me before. I'm so impressed. Uh, and I guess I want to know and provide him with a good answer. If you've got one, what gives, why after doing a year of like yoga and stretching, um, did he not see any change? I know it's an individual circumstance, but now he's added load to a similar movement, like a forward fold. Um, and there's some sort of lasting change he's experiencing in his perception of how his hamstrings feel. And then like visually looking at him, he is much, uh, it's much more range of motion in his forward bends. Any ideas on what's going on? Yeah. Um, it's a complex process. Hamstrings are especially, prone to um, a highly sensitive stretch reflex. They just are. I don't know why. I don't, you know, but it's a, it's a, it's a common area. Um, 
And so basically I would, I would get, I would guess, I would guess that that limited range of motion is, is relative to the stretch reflex. I would, cause he didn't, he didn't like it, you know? So when you stretch and you approach your, the, you know, you approach the end range for which your proprioceptors in your, in your muscles called muscle spindles, when those muscle spindles are sensing that you're approaching a range that they're, they're too tightly wound for, you know, they're, they're, they're setting, think of it as like a, um, think of them as this, this, this nerve ending or this, you know, proprioceptor, it's not quite a nerve ending in a muscle spindle, but this, this proprioceptor that, that is idle, it's always waiting for information. You know, it needs, it needs to know, it needs to know at, at which level to set itself to give feedback. I'm trying to do this without a slideshow. I'm trying to do this quickly. But so this, 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 this muscle spindle is saying, oh, you're approaching what is a familiar range for me. So I'm going to shut it down. I'm going to contract against the stretch, which is why it, it's undesirable for many people. It hurts. They don't like it because they're, they're, they're being, they're shutting it down. It's in, it's involuntary. You know, they're shutting it down just like, okay, that's enough. Um, but when you do, when you contract a muscle while it's being stretched, and again, without my graphics and my slideshow, it's hard to explain, but when you contract a muscle while it's being stretched or when it's stretched, you get this co-activation um, between the, the, how your muscles and how your muscle spindles are innervated. So there's basically like two different muscle fibers and there's, and there's one's innervated by the alpha motor nervous neuron. And the other one is by the gamma motor neuron. And the gamma motor neuron is the one that sets the tone of that muscle spindle. So when you get this co-activation, it, it speeds the process along of normalizing that idleness. Um, so it doesn't, it doesn't mean passive stretching doesn't work. It's just, it, takes a lot longer and it's painful. So people, it just, it just, it, it's not, it, it doesn't, I don't know how to explain it. Like it's, it can be done, especially you've seen it being in things like restorative and yin where there's a lot of time, you know, it can be done, but it's going to be harder to do in just a 30 second stretch. Right. So that's why PNF works so well. That's why, that's why you hear those kind of strengthen to lengthen kind of fun little buzz buzz phrases, you know, that you get this sort of co-activation where you get this ability for that spindle to reset itself. So that would be my guess. Um, in fact, at the end of my webinar last week, somebody actually asked, what do I do with the guys that come to my yoga class that aren't, that aren't improving in their forward bends with their hamstrings? And I said, deadlift. I was yeah, like, right. load it while you're stretching it. That would be, that would be the fastest way if you're just not seeing results. Uh, but you know, there are other ways, of course. So, mm. yeah, that's, that's super helpful. Um, and f yeah, if you, if you're, <laughs> I would say if you're a yoga teacher and, you know, you want to encourage people to keep practicing for whatever reason, for the other benefits. And, um, you know, my boyfriend was kind of like, eh, yoga doesn't work. He's obviously not considering the other aspects of yoga, but he was looking at it for that sort of increase in range of motion. Um, definitely there's a feedback there of getting some sort of 
change that he with when he started deadlifting that is um, self motivating. Uh, so if you could add that into a yoga class um, for well, people who are struggling, this with is that. what makes me curious. Is now that there's been a, like now that he's kind of got over that hump and there's been a change, what would what would the what would forward bends offer now? Do you, like this is kind of part of my problem with the research is it's usually done on guys between the ages of 20 and 30 because it's usually done on college kids, you know, and they usually have limited range of motion and there's sort of this neurological tightness, we can call it or whatever. Like, and so we're like, we're, we're looking at these stretching techniques on their range of motion. But like, like, what I'm really curious about is, well, what about the flexible 45 year old woman who comes in? is it does it apply like to your yoga class does it apply because because the conditions for which we're we're actually studying stretching are fit for a specific set of the population who comes to yoga but not the full set of the population doesn't you know there's so many other people that come and i i don't know if the stretching interventions maybe maybe for a 45 year old woman who can already touch the floor before she starts yoga maybe passive stretching has does a whole other th- set of things that is just not studied because that's not, you know, we, we're not <laughs> think about research and budget and pays for all of this. Nobody's interested in improving range of motion for a 45 year old woman who walks into a yoga studio. That's not like there's no funding for that, you know? <laughs> so there's a lot we don't know. Yeah. And, and it also comes down to like, also is she motivated to increase range by the same things. Exactly. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Might not even matter, you know? Mm. Yeah. This is so, this is such a fascinating, um, fascinating conversation. Um, okay. So it might, so adding load may increase the speed at which range of motion develops in a way that is more palatable because the person doing it doesn't have to go to that uncomfortable uh, place. Is that is that called the stretch reflex? Is that what you called it? Where where they feel yeah, when, the yeah when you feel the stretch, that's your that's your muscle spindles telling your brain you're being stretched. <laughs> um, and so many people that that threshold is set too tightly. Like think I like think of it as like. Um, like an alarm. If your alarm, if your house alarm is too sensitive, it goes off every time your cats walk across the living room, you know, like, and so, but if your alarm is not sensitive enough, then it won't go off when there's actually, when there is actually a person in your house trying to steal something. Right. So there's this like kind of middle ground. And so that's that, you know, when you're, when that is, when it's, when the tone is too high of that sensory receptor, that's when you get that sense of tightness and that's why you, it hurts. And that's why people don't like to stretch. And so then they just, they just butt up again. They just contract against it because of this two types of muscle fibers and that alpha motor neuron just contracts that muscle. And then you just kind of don't get anywhere because you're just resisting the stretch instead of um, moving through the stretch. So is it, is it someone's nervous system that controls how tightly that sensor is set? Well, it is the nervous system. I mean, it is the muscle spindle, you know, is a proprioceptor. So it's, it, it, like it, it, it is, you know, it's a mechanoreceptor that's 
that is linked to the nervous system. Um, and then it's innervated, you know, by neurons. So, but like, it's so like, like, it's so hard because yeah, it is the nervous system, but we don't really understand what yeah. part and it's probably all parts, you know, it's probably partially the somatosensory cortex, but it's also the limbic system. Cause you got to feel safe. And, and, and again, like I, I was like, neuro, if you had, if you had access to a neuroscientist and a budget to run a study, would you run it on flexibility? You know what I mean? Like that, like, like, like there are more important things and discoveries in neuroscience that lie ahead than what part of the brain makes you able to touch your toes. So I, it's, it's like, we don't really know, but nobody's like clamoring to unfund this kind of research because it's not that important, I guess. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I do. Um, I was, <laughs> I don't, yeah, totally. Spend your research dollars solving cancer or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hell, yes. That's what I mean. Like, like flexibility, like, you know, like a lot of funding is in special populations, like, like not having range of, uh, not having, you know, range of great range of motion isn't a special population. That's like just people, you know, it's not, yeah, it's not saving lives and helping the world and helping humanity. <laughs> Yeah, like I think I think my boyfriend's range of motion and his forward folds increasing is a is a novel thing that he finds interesting um, and, and cool. like look at this mm-hmm. and cool um, and it may be slightly beneficial for him uh, when he's doing jujitsu, um, which is a hobby. Uh, but other than that, like it has no, it's not like making his quality of life, you know, dramatically well, better. That's actually, I'm glad you brought that up because there was an editorial that came out recently that talks about how um, the author is like an advocate for removing flexibility as a component of fitness for that exact reason. Nothing wrong with flexibility, but being flexible doesn't actually have any impact on your life expectancy or on your, on, on major health outcomes. Whereas things like muscular endurance and strength and all of this actually does have an effect on, on your general health. And so, and not only that, but some of those things like strength training also make you more flexible. So so why does flexibility get its own category when, when we could just get more flexible by doing some of the other things and focusing on things like strength that do have an impact on your general health? So it was an interesting editorial. That is an interesting thought. Uh, random question that I don't know if you have thought about or um, have have an answer to, but why do we look at, do you have any idea why we look at flexibility as a good thing? Like why do people want that? Why, if it if it doesn't confer those benefits? It's one of the components of fitness. So if you just kind of look at the history, we have the American College of Sports Medicine, ACSM, and they are kind of the gold standard for, you know, health and fitness requirements in the West. Obviously, even that is extremely biased to the globe at, at large. But, you know, when you hear things like, oh, you should get 150 minutes of high intensity exercise a week or whatever, that that comes from literature reviews, research reviews from this American College of Sports Medicine. They were founded in the 50s, 1954. Like exercise is a relatively new thing, you know, so but anyway, they came up with these like five components of fitness. And so any personal trainer, anybody, you know, learns this. They learn that strength, endurance, um, 
flexibility, you know, like neuromotor fitness, which would be like, you know, motor control and maybe like mind body stuff like yoga in martial arts and so on. And then um, body mass index, BMI, which is also controversial, but that's another podcast, you know? Um, so these are your five components of fitness. And so it just, it's in our, it's in our narrative. Like it's, it's in our collective consciousness as a society that I must, I need to be more flexible, just like I should get stronger or I should be able to run longer. Like these are like, we, we just believe that these are what we need to be happy, healthy humans. So that's kind of where it comes from. So how do you, how do you dismantle the collective consciousness? Well, part of the thing is you can't really dismantle it as long as it's still being recommended. And I'm actually not even an advocate for it. I'm not saying we should get rid of flexibility. I'm definitely not saying that. Um, I'm just saying this is a this is a conversation that that is hotly debated in the scientific and, and clinical communities for the last 20 years. Hotly debated because it we don't really know. <laughs> that is so fascinating, though, to know that it it was part of the the original five components and. I had no idea, you know, not being in that community, um, that there was a debate going on around it, but, um, you know, I don't know if it was part of the original five. I just know it's the five that are, they do, they put out a position statement every few years. Um, and so I know it's in the most recent one, but I, you know, and it has, it has been around for a while. I just don't know if it was, I just don't know. I didn't go back into history to see (laughs) beyond the last 20 years. But it is in our collective consciousness. We've all heard, everybody thinks they need to be more flexible, like people that aren't flexible. But you, you, you know, you get students and clients, oh, I should go to yoga. I, I, I need to be more flexible. You hear that all the time. And you go to any personal training session or any class, any fitness class, there's always a stretch at the end or something. It, it, it's part of our, it's part of our culture. Hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting to question that. Um, and just to, to ask why, uh, is a, is a really interesting thing that I hadn't particularly considered. Um, off the top of your head, do you know the name of that article? If not, I can, um, just grab it from you in an email at a different point. The one that, um, you said was the guy was sort of petitioning to have it removed from the lexicon. Um, yeah, I, I don't think he was petitioning it. I think he just wrote an editorial. And the author's name is is off the top of my head. I think it's Nuzo, N-U-Z-O-O. Cool. No, it's N-U-Z-O. Um, and then the year would probably be last year, 2020, maybe 2019. I don't remember article titles. I remember author and year. So. <laughs> <laughs> cool. That's helpful. I can find it with that information. Um, so... Okay. Thank you. Thank you for playing along in all my like difficult and, you know, (laughs) questions that are much more in depth than what can be answered in a few minutes on a podcast. Um, and I appreciate it. One of the things that I've been playing with, um, in my own practice. And as I mentioned, I'm not teaching anymore. So, you know, I'm not teaching this to other people, but it's something that I've been doing is, um, looking for an element of progressive overload in what I'm doing in the gym. Um, and that is so that I get stronger is, is my theory behind that. Um, trying to 
gradually increase the amount of uh, repetitions I do at a particular weight or um, increase the um, the actual weight that I'm using or, um, you know, varying things like instead of doing a squat with uh, both legs, doing it in a single leg sort of fashion so that um, there's some sort of forward movement in my development of strength. Um when we think about a yoga class where it is, it can, or it could be, at least in my like limited circle of thinking, it could be harder to vary things like load because we're using usually just the body. So we, we have this one body and we can use it in different ways, but we're not adding usually external things like an actual weight, for example. Um, and I found that that p- part of the, my experience of that was I stopped making physical progress in my asana practice when it comes to things like strength development. Do you have any ideas on using that principle of like progressive overload in an asana class? Like, I mean, I'm sure that we could debate whether that's relevant or important um, or, you know, the goal that somebody has. But if it is, do you have any idea on how to do that? Well, you, I mean, you said it. You, your answer is in the question. You're just, you're limited. You've got your body weight. So you can think, let's start with upper body. Well, you can't really pull anything. Um, you can push some stuff. You can push the floor away from you. So you can do that. Um, it's harder to push stuff overhead. I mean, you could do handstand push-ups. You know, um, that would be an overhead press. So there's, you know, there's there's certain ranges, um, and your body weight is, you know, your your upper body is generally weaker. So moving your body weight on the upper body. So there's a little bit more opportunity for progression there, I would say. Um, but you know, if you can do fifty one-armed push-ups with really good form, your yoga is probably not your place for progressive overload. (laughs) Now, if you're a, a, if you're a typical middle-aged woman who can't really do more than one good push-up, yoga is a perfectly good place to start building that, you know, um, for, for lower body, it's harder. Um, you said it yourself, single leg is probably one of the best ways, but if you, if you can do, you know, 10 to 20 single leg squats all the way down and all the way up without, then again, yoga is probably not your place. But if you're, you know, your average person walking off the street, uh, do a single, single leg uh, squat, then it could be a great place to start. So I think it's really who, who are you talking about? And, and are you recognizing that you have to manipulate something, some variable you know, if you can do 50, is doing 55 going to make you stronger? Probably not much. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, like so that's what, it, what's the variable? You're going to manipulate time or position, relationship to gravity or, you know, external load. You can play with sandbags here and there, but you, know, you can't make a blanket statement. Um, in general, I would just, I would say if you really are interested in building strength, then go to the gym. At the same time, like while I'm a huge advocate for strength training and and the the complex um, systemic adaptations that occur, not just getting stronger, but like on a metabolic level, 
a, a huge advocate for strength, but at the same time, I, that is not my, my message. Uh, one of my, one of the people in my mentoring program that is her message and I'm hugely supporting her in it. Um, but my, but my message, you know, I work with yoga teachers and the message is not that everybody has to get into the gym. You know, it, it, my message is, you know, do what, do what you need to, to lead a happy, healthy life. And for many people, yoga is enough for that. And that's fine. That's great. Uh, but if they do want to make some sort of change, then you have to start looking at those variables and seeing how you can manipulate them. At, at some point, you'll inevitably, if you want to keep progressing, you'll inevitably end up in the gym just because that's needed. You're going you're gonna to end up on a pull-up bar <laughs> because that's <laughs> it's what's going to need to happen. But it's not required for everybody to enjoy yoga and live a happy, healthy life is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm going to do that fun thing where I try and paraphrase what you've said to make sure I've understood it again. <laughs> um, so if, because the people who listen to the show are yoga teachers, I don't, I haven't heard from any yoga students who listen. So I think we're, we're speaking to people who are teaching. Um, so if they wanted to offer their students, um, a chance to be challenged physically and, and make some sort of progress so that, you know, they might have that, like, look at how neat this is. I can touch my toes moment that my, um, partner had, if they can have that moment in their yoga classes so that they are, um, motivated to return, they, the yoga teacher could play with certain things like changing the position, like you said, so like double leg to single leg or something like that. Um, they could look at time, which um, I wonder if that means like how long you're holding a pose uh, or something like that, like plank, I'm imagining, like you hold it for 30 seconds or 60 seconds. Um, they could uh, they could use um, external load. So if you've got a sandbag or something, throw that in there. Um, and have I missed any of the other variables that you could sort of play with to help um, bring more variability into it? Well, I mean, repetitions is counts as kind of time, but like, I mean, it's just, this is where, this is where I think some basic biomechanics and some basic exercise science principles come in really handy. And I know that that's not what yoga is, but I'm just telling you that if you can't hold a 30 second plank, you're not going to be able to do a chaturanga. So why are we introducing chaturanga to a population that can't do a 30 second plank? And, and, you know, and if, and if you can, if you can fall down to the floor in chaturanga, but you can't push yourself back up, then why are we doing 20 of those? You know, like, why are we not working on these different variables? So you know, yes, concentric, isometric, eccentric, um, you know, contraction types, time under tension, um, external load, all of those things, you know, orientation to gravity, those are all things you can play with, yes, but but not recklessly, deliberately. I think that's the next part of it is that people are like, oh, this is really cool. We'll do 50 of these. Like, <laughs> like no, 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 no. Because if you can't do one, then doing 50 isn't going to help. <laughs> so kind of knowing how to regress and progress and, and, that, and understanding that that's not a linear relationship either, that that different days people can, you know, can do different things. So just because you did, just because you, you could do 10 pushups pre COVID doesn't mean that when you go back to the class, go back to, you know, your public class, you can still do it a year later. Mm -hmm. 
yeah, I've experienced that. Um, <laughs> so this brings me to my question that is something that I have been asked and something that I have been pondering for a long time. Um, and I don't have an answer for it. So maybe this is just more of a, a, a dialogue around it. But you mentioned that like understanding some basic exercise science principles um, or biomechanic principles can be useful when you're looking at things like this in your yoga class, uh, sort of could give you like a bit of a foundation. Um, but then you said, well, that's not, you know, that's not necessarily always what yoga is about. And so my question is, like, have you thought about what makes something yoga and or when is something no longer yoga? Like I, um, one of my, the students in my class um, said, this is not a yoga class <laughs> and <laughs> complained about me to, uh, well, I owned the studio. So it, it didn't really matter, but she complained about me to my other co-studio owners and they know how I taught. So it was fine. Um and I was like, yeah, we, we are doing squats and doing repetitions and using sandbags and stuff like that and, and doing some of those things that you mentioned. And she called it out as not a yoga class anymore. And so, and I was like, I don't know if you're right or not. Like, I, I don't, maybe it's not your yoga class. And there, I think there's um, a lot of variation in interpretation. But when we start bringing in principles of biomechanics, exercise science, I interviewed someone recently who's studying um, to be a physical therapist. And like, when is it not yoga anymore? Um, I, I was wondering, like, should I just stop calling my classes yoga and just get a, get my PT certificate and just be like, all right, well, I do a group movement class. Um, yeah. Have you thought about that question? And do you have any ideas about it? When is it not yoga? When is it yoga? Well, I mean, yes, obviously. Um, you know, I don't think I have the authority to decide no. for anyone <laughs> what yoga is. I'm sure you knew I was going to say that. Um, so my role as a yoga teacher is to provide an experience for someone, um, to cultivate some awareness and to provide an experience. And I tend to stick to the poses more than I don't. Obviously, I, I obviously I throw in push-up progressions and uh, and can I can make an athletic class. But for me, if you can't do a chaturanga, the best way to get to be able to do chaturanga is to be able to do some push-ups. So for me, that's a progression to the pose. Um, um, but it's not my place to decide. I'm definitely not an authority. I tend to teach more yoga oriented, but I do like yoga pose, like your classic poses. Um, but I do use a lot of somatic experiential movements as a warm up very often. And I will do, I will do an athletic class. My classes can, can be totally different. You know, I can go from, from rolling on the floor to, you know, single leg squat stuff. Um, but I still try and always tie it in to, to the, the poses that we all know and love, because I think how do I, how do I say this? I've, I've said it a lot, just not as a response to this question. So I'm trying to rephrase it. But for me, these principles that we've been talking about these biomechanical principles and, and basic theories on exercise science is what, what gave me the ability, like it, it gave me my yoga back. It, I fell in love with yoga again. 
And I, you know, I'd had, we all join yoga because we have a love affair with it. And, and many of us like kind of lost, got lost along the way. And, and for me, it was this that brought my love of asana back. Um, and so I try in my teaching to instill that in others. I, 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 I have a master's in biomechanics. I can easily go be a personal trainer and train people in deadlifts. I could do that, but that's not, that doesn't, that doesn't get me excited. You know, like I, I love deadlifts. Don't get me wrong, you know, but like, that's not my, it, it, it what brought me here was was my path in yoga and, and my experiences in yoga. And so I try to keep that, that, that essence, not because I'm not because one's yoga and one's not yoga, but because that's, that's, what's meaningful to me. You know, if somebody's like way into TheraBand yoga, like, great. If that to you is what is that, if that to you is what made you know, brought yoga back into your life is adding therabands, and who am I to say that's yoga or not yoga? Um, my sister's a runner, and she will, you know, she runs every single day because it is her meditation. Now, a meditation teacher might go, "Well, running's not meditation," but to my sister, it is. So, who are we to say it is or isn't? You know, like um, that's you know that's she needs that as, as for her for her mental clarity. Um, so, I think it's I think. For me, it's about yoga if there's an experience and can I drive that experience for you and that, that sense of awareness. And I tend to, I tend to focus mostly on the poses. Um, that's just me. Cool. That was a really thoughtful, thoughtful answer. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's an underlying, like, as you said, like it's the essence of what is there. Um, and I can relate to that in terms of, um, you know, practicing asana for a long time and getting a couple of injuries and being like, what the hell am I doing? Do I even know what I'm doing? Mm -hmm. And, and then, (laughs) yeah. yeah. And then kind of being like, well, fuck it for, for like a minute, I'm not going to do this. And, And I, you know, have taken breaks and then, you know, exploring some of the things that you do in your work and learning from you and other people who are doing this work of maybe bringing a bit of a deeper understanding to the physical side of what we are doing in the asana practice and how to um, change that and and vary it and all those sorts of things gave me my asana practice back. So, you know, what you, um, what you said really resonated with me and I'm in a slightly different place now uh, where I don't have to face that question as much of, you know, is your class even a yoga class? Um, but, but yeah, it, it was what allowed me to, when I was teaching, um, you know, every day and running teacher trainings and, uh, owning a yoga studio, it was what learning more about the physical side of how the body works was what enabled me to go back into the practice and then also to communicate that to other people without being like all these things that I've been doing I got really injured (laughs) but here you do them um it, it made me feel like I could talk to my students and teach in a way that was more authentic and 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 more like you know I can, I can have a deeper understanding of, of what I'm doing. Therefore I feel better about recommending it to other people. Um, 
where there were definitely periods of times where I didn't have that understanding. It was just like, should I even be teaching this? Like, I don't even know what the hell I'm doing. Um, well, I think the key word in what you, what you, you know, brought up is injury or safety. And that's, that is, you know, we haven't talked about that. And again, that's a whole other podcast, but uh, for me, that's, that's why, especially my book, like I, I veer from range of motion and I veer from, from classical biomechanics very early on in the book after I introduce some of the concepts and then I go right into tissue mechanics because at the end of the day, that to me, that's, we could, that's what the one topic we can all agree on. We can all agree whether we're, what, no matter what our yoga looks like, if it's a physical or if it's, a, you know, a, a more of a spiritual practice or if it's a mantra practice, or you know, we can all agree that, we're supposed to keep each other safe and, 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 and free from injury in the practice. Like that is a, you know, and so that's where I think these principles help a lot. They help with our confidence and understanding what's appropriate for who, why, and when understanding the dose, all of that stuff, um, regardless of what we're doing, you know, you could be having a meditation practice and somebody's knee starts hurting. Well, if you understand what creep is and you understand, yeah. you know, how, you know, that you're like, okay, well maybe you just, and then now you're not like, I don't know what to do. So, so it, it's not even, a, it's not about, you know, building up in progressive overload. It's just understanding the principle of progressive overload makes you understand the poses in the context of this individual's, you know, uh, loading history or their body and it helps empower you, so to speak. I'm laughing because I injured myself, my knee in meditation. <laughs> yeah. See what I'm saying? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so we all, nobody wants that. So that's like, that's where instead of being like fighting over what's yoga and what's not yoga, like let's all come together and be like, well, for that person in meditation, you know, like I'm a meditation teacher. I might not know much about knee mechanics, but you know what? I know another yoga teacher who does, and they might be able to give you some asana to help you with that. And, you know, and then it becomes like, now we're all agreeing and working together because we don't want people to hurt, period. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Finding finding the common intention behind all styles, approaches, factions of, of in this case, a yoga practice and finding the common humanity. For the world in, at large. <laughs> and, yeah, I know. <laughs> it's a very metaphorical. <laughs> it's a microcosm we're talking about here, but definitely thinking about the world. Um, and finding that and how can we, how can we unify and, um, you know, move towards a common, common positive intention for our students or humanity, um, even though we might think about things differently or do things differently. And that could actually be a strength because you can, you can rely on your, your neighbors or your colleagues' strengths and, and you can investigate the ones that are interesting to you. Um, Jules, one last question. Could you please finish this sentence? If you really knew me, you would know. <laughs> That's funny. Um, <laughs> lots of things, but I think one of them, <laughs> one of them is that um, if you really knew me, you'd know how sensitive I am. Um, and I think maybe that's come across a little bit in this particular podcast. Um, I, I, I'll, I'll put it succinctly. I'm a Virgo with a Scorpio moon so that people who know astrology know, know what that is. But, um, I come across often, you know, very, um, confident. Um, and I am, it's not that, but, but I, yeah, I'm just, I'm very sensitive to people and humanity 
And I think this last year has been, you know, especially, I don't know, it's been a letdown for me. <laughs> I've had, you know, I've had, I've had some dark moments in, in, in the news this year and in, on social media this year. And it's, um, yeah, it's tough. So. I'm doing okay. I'm I, all is good, you know, but, but I think about it. It keeps me up at night how people can be so mean to each other. <laughs> yeah, I am. Um, I feel you on that. Can I ask one tiny follow-up question, which is, uh, since you brought it up, I mean, I try not to um, inflict this on my guests because I am a huge astrology fan, <laughs> but since you brought it up, would you know what your rising sign is? Oh yeah. It's Sagittarius. <laughs> okay, okay. And so I see the travel. <laughs> <laughs> Which totally makes sense. That's why I'm saying like, like people relate to me as a Sag, but, <laughs> but I, I think I'm a Scorpio. <laughs> so yeah, pretty funny. Yeah. I feel you. I'm, I'm a cancer moon. So I'm, I'm a super sensitive one there with there with you. Um, but I have a Leo, Leo rising. So everyone thinks I'm like super happy and, uh, outgoing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, really all I want to do is cry at home and decorate. <laughs> Hilarious. Um, Jules, where can people find you? Like, I know you've got your book out. Can you tell us the name of it? We didn't, I don't think we actually said the title and then social media or website or newsletter. Where's the best place for people to get in touch? Yeah, my website, which is my name, julesmitchell.com. Super simple. And it has everything that you could need. You can sign up for my newsletters. There's all my workshops are listed, all my pre-recorded courses, my book, uh, which is Yoga Biomechanics Stretching Redefined, which makes sense if you've listened to this whole podcast um, and I do all kinds of online offerings I do teacher trainings and and book clubs and all kinds of stuff so yeah in your book in your book do you um do you work on your book like is it a like study book club or do you yeah take- it's like a it's a book club for my book um and it's I'm about to launch my ninth one it starts February 15th and we basically, it's chapter by chapter. You submit questions and I do like a summary of the chapter and help explain concepts. It's been really great for teachers who want to use it for their teacher training. You know, like how to, how to make sense of this. And I provide discussion questions and stuff like that. So that, um, yeah, it's really, it's really fun. I love it. Awesome. Um, Jules, thank you so much for coming on the show and answering all my <laughs> difficult questions um, and just spending this time with me to, to share with our listeners. So thank you so much for that. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Teaching Yoga Podcast. If you want to stay connected between shows, make sure you join my weekly video newsletter, The Practice, at coragerud.com slash newsletter. If you don't keep it real, then you go somewhere but here, cause you know we're only losing control just for a minute. Oh. If you don't like this music, then don't be listening to it. You know, I'm just a dude that you know, or something similar. If you don't keep it real, can you go somewhere but here, cause you know we're only losing control just for a minute. Oh. Oh-oh. Uh-oh, 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 uh-
morning.